Today's episode is a continuation from last week. I'm going to be vulnerable about my struggle with having the mindset of a Pharisee in this episode, and this is a talk that I gave for a women's retreat recently where I talked about how God had given the Apostle Paul an opportunity to have a restart. And I share a little bit about my own restart and how God revealed to me that I was zealous a lot like the Apostle Paul. So come on in. We're going to jump into that shortly, and I hope you enjoy part two of Remade. On Life Repurposed, you'll find a blend of practical wisdom and biblical inspiration that's designed to help you navigate everyday life with faith, purpose, and hope. We focus on personal and spiritual growth with a range of topics from improving your relationships and discovering your purpose to setting and achieving goals. Plus, tools, and resources to help you live your repurposed life. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn, the author of books and Bible studies about finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. This is part two in the Remade Message series, which is based on the Bible study book series with the same title. So before I play the message that I pre-recorded for you, here's a little info about the first book in that series. Have you ever faced life's curveballs and felt you were in pieces? There's no need to be a Bible expert. This book meets you right where you are. So what's inside? Over six weeks, you'll dig into the Apostle Paul's story and his timeless letters. No fancy degree required. You'll explore thought-provoking questions and reflections and go a little further with micro-studies throughout the week. Renewed is like a roadmap to rediscovery, renewal, and the kind of joy that sneaks up on you in the midst of life's messiness. It's like catching up with a friend who's been through it and wants to share their hard-earned wisdom. Themes such as redeem, restart, repurpose, revive, rejoice, and repeat light the way, showing you how to find beauty in the cracks and grace in the chaos. It's sprinkled with humor, relatable examples, and a healthy dose of soul-searching, and this book is your partner in spiritual growth. Whether you're flying solo or diving in with a group, Renewed has you covered. And don't worry, I left plenty of space for your notes, scribbles, and doodles. Ready to take a journey toward renewal, hope, and some serious soul-soothing? Grab your copy of Renewed, then get comfy, and let's dig in. Before I start the recording, I want to thank you for bearing with me in the audio quality in this four-part series. It's not horrible, but it's not great either. I clipped a mic on to record on my phone when I was speaking at an event, and so I have heavily edited it to try to get better quality without the echo that the big room and all of that came with it. So, of course, it isn't as perfect as my studio, but I really wanted to share this series, so thank you for forgiving the little glitches. Let's get started, and I'll jump back in here after the recording is done. This morning, we're going to be talking about another RE word. And you know, last night we talked about, anyone remember what that RE word was? Refreshed. And it was appropriate because this is the fall refresher. And so we started with talking about being refreshed. Today, we're going to be talking about a restart. And tonight, we'll continue that a little bit with a different RE word. We're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul. But before we get into that, I want you to think about a restart that you've had to do. So just think in your mind if there's something, maybe maybe it was a simple 
Um, you just had to, um, maybe you're standing up in front of people like this and you had to just start over at the beginning, or maybe it was you had to restart the microwave because you left your tea in there and you forgot about it and you had to warm it up again. Well, I've had a few different restarts in my life. One of those was at a piano recital and I had to, um, I, it was, I was really young and I remember my piano teacher standing off to the side. She was, she was there as a support and I started playing the song and I had my fingers just one key over from they were supposed to be. And sometimes you just keep going because, you know, they teach you the show goes on, right? <laughs> but I looked over at my teacher and I asked her if I could start over. And she said, you may start over. And I'm sure the rest of the people sitting behind me were like, thank goodness she's starting <laughs> over. That was one restart. I had another one. I want to say it was like eight years ago or so where I wanted to get a little more fit and I, I didn't want to pay to go to a gym, but my friend clipped an ad from the newspaper and she said, there's a class at the aquatic center that we can go to. Only she didn't go. <laughs> so I showed up by myself and I, I remember looking at the ad and it said, that, um, it, well, there was a beginners and there was an advance. And I was thinking, I am in no way advanced in the area of fitness. So I'm going to have to go to the beginners class. Well, it, I read through the prerequisites and I thought I need to make a phone call. So I called somebody who was running the program and she said, well, can you get up off the floor without somebody helping you? Oh yeah, I can do that. And can you sit on the floor for some exercises or do you need to be in the chair? And I said, no, I can do some on the floor. And she said, then you're advanced. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go to the advanced class. And I got there and I walked in and all these people already had their yoga mats on the floor for the floor exercises. They had already grabbed hand weights. And I, I felt like I did not fit in in that crowd at all. Like they knew what they were doing. Except when I looked around the room I was the only person in the room who didn't have white hair. And I realized that when the class had said it was for middle-aged adults, I was about 45 at that time, 46 or something. I really thought that meant middle-aged. And I realized that I had signed up for a granny fitness class. And I was judging. Inside I was thinking, I've got this. I totally have this. So the instructor had us start with some slow motion squats. Now we had a chair behind us in case we should fall. And that was also there for us to study uh, when we would do some floor exercises. So we started with the squats and the slow motion squats went sort of like this. Down, well we started seated, so we were down here. Up, two, three, four. Down, two, three, four up to I was like I've got this I totally have this you know what by 10 minutes into the class my legs were shaking so bad and when I got home I almost tripped going up the stairs into the kitchen and the whole point of the class was that we would not be so fall prone <laughs> and I realized that sometimes a restart is very subjective for me, that was exactly the fitness class I needed. I was not in shape to go to anything else. I made some new friends too in the eight to 10 weeks that we were in the class and I got some muscles that I didn't know I had. That was one of my restarts.
maybe your restart was having to repaint a room because you picked out something off of a swatch and you thought it looked really cool. And then when you got it on four walls, you realized it really looks like baby poop and you had to go back to the paint store or the shade of gray that you picked was really lavender. Maybe that was your restart. Maybe you have gone in a whole different direction in your career from where you planned to or where you started out. Whatever your restart is, I hope that you can see God in the middle of it. Today we're going to be talking about Paul, like I said. Paul was there at the beginning of the Christian church. But I want to go back to before we first see Paul as a missionary. Let's look at Paul's before. Because if you remember last night, I talked about redoing things, repurposing things. And the before is very important. We don't dwell on it for very long, but if we don't see the before, the after is not near as glorious. It doesn't point to the power of God as much if we don't know what he was like before. So we see in Acts 6 and 7, we see Stephen, one of the Jewish Christians. He was a powerful evangelist and the Jewish leaders felt threatened by this. And you're going to see on the screen, starting at verse 11 in Acts 6, they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The high council was called the Sanhedrin. Think of this as the Jewish Supreme Court. This was the same court that had condemned Jesus to crucifixion, and now they were after Jesus' followers. Now, in his testimony, in Acts 7, Stephen accused the members of the high court of being heathen and deaf to the truth because they had rejected the gospel. So let's look at chapter 7, verses 57 and 58 and see what happened. They put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul started out as a zealous follower of the scriptures. Maybe you have a Sunday school picture of Saul that you think of when you hear his name. And I do want to say that Saul, Paul are the same person. And maybe you've heard it taught that um, he got a new name. It, there really isn't any evidence that God gave him a new name throughout that time, depending on where he was, whether in Rome or whether he was with his Jewish family, he may have been Saul or Paul. Um, maybe some of you have a name that's, that you use here and you have another one that you use when you're with your family. <laughs> maybe you have a nickname. Um, so when we see Paul and Saul, I'm talking about the same person. But he was known as Saul of Tarsus in, with his Jewish name. And I want you to think about what it was like for those Pharisees to refuse to hear the truth. Paul is one of the Pharisees, and he didn't want to hear the truth about Jesus. He, he wanted to believe that the old tradition was the way. The old Jewish tradition was the way. And maybe you've had somebody come to you with a new idea before. I'm a little resistant. I'm like, this is the way I've always done it. And I want you to think of Paul, Saul, in the terms of somebody who was zealously trying to do what was right. Because, you know, at Sunday school stories, I heard of him kind of, you know, he, he's a murderer. Well, actually, I don't know if there's any stories in the New Testament about Paul actually murdering somebody, Saul actually, but he was chasing relentlessly after people to bring them to the people who would murder them. 
He was pursuing the Christians because he wanted to stay true to the Jewish faith, even though the Jewish faith taught a Messiah was coming. It's just that he didn't believe this was the Messiah. So I'm not saying he was a good man by any means. I'm saying that there's a possibility he had good intentions when he started out and it just went all wrong. Very, very wrong. So as the accusers rush at Stephen to put him to death unjustly, there's this young man in their group. And there he is, standing there watching a Pharisee who's diligent in his studies, a young man who's ready, ready to step into that role of persecutor. They take off their coats as they prepare to murder Stephen, and they lay them at the feet of Saul. Acts 8, verses 1 through 3 says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Paul was proud of his Jewish heritage. Even when he became a follower of Jesus, he didn't hide who he had once been. He told people who he once had been. In fact, this one's not on the screen, but Acts 26, Paul said, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. There was an emphasis on holiness with the Pharisees, on being set apart. And Paul followed that tradition from childhood. I'm somebody who had that tradition from childhood of following Jesus. My parents brought me to church. I remember being maybe five years old when in Sunday school, the teacher shared the gospel. And I said, I want Jesus in my heart. You know, the way we talked about it as little kids, the only way we can understand is what does this mean? And then I grew up in the church and I I followed God and pursued him in a similar way to how Paul did in that I was, I was really tied to the traditions of my parents. And as I became an adult and my my husband and I moved around a few different places and I, I, I studied a little bit more, I realized that maybe some traditions were just made by people and they, they weren't all founded on what was in scripture. And maybe I was like Paul being, or Saul being zealous about something that actually wasn't in Scripture. So one of the things we have to remember when we think of his story is we need to separate truth from traditions. It can be really hard to sift through, just sorting through to figure out. So when I look at something from a tradition from my past, if there's something supported in Scripture there, then I know it's founded in truth. Maybe how we carry it out, though, can be done in a legalistic way. There's an old story that goes something like this that helps us to understand this. There is a story of a woman who's preparing a ham for Easter dinner, and she cuts off both ends, and she puts it in the pan. And her daughter is there watching, and she says, why do you always do that? Why do you always cut the ends off when you put it in the pan? And she says, well, my mother always did it that way. So um, you'll have to ask grandma why she did it that way. So at dinner, they asked her, why, why did she always do it that way? 
And she says, oh, because my mother always did it that way. And so Great Granny is sitting there and they, they ask her, well, why did you do it that way? Oh, that's easy, she said. My pan was too small. My pan was too small. You see, we sometimes don't even know why we do the things we do. Somebody else had a really good reason that had nothing to do with how we cook the ham. So it's important for us to go back and ask questions. Why didn't, and sometimes when you ask questions, especially in church circles, you get some looks, don't you? You start asking questions. People think, well, what's happening to you? Are you doubting Jesus? Are you doubting Jesus? I had to look you all in the eyes so I wasn't picking on any one person here. You see, when we ask questions, we get to the bottom of why do we do it this way? And it makes someone else think. When my kids ask me, why do we do it that way? I think, well, I don't know. Actually, let me think about that. That's just the way my mom and dad always did it. So it's important for us to know that we need to separate truth from tradition. In Mark 7, Jesus replied to the Pharisees, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 3, Jesus told his disciples not to follow the example of the Pharisees because they didn't practice what they taught. You see, that's what happens eventually. If we don't know why we do the things we do, and we don't know where we got it from Scripture, eventually we start to make rules for other people that we don't even follow. And in my own life, I did this with my children in other ways too. Like I told them they couldn't have a cookie, but I had a cookie. You have your secret stash of chocolate. Yeah, I see you looking at each other. <laughs> it's important for us not to have a secret stash of those religious thoughts too, of like, well, we're supposed to do it this way, so you have to do it this way, but in my private life. The goal is for us to align what we do in private with what we do in public. And that was the problem with the Pharisees, is what they did in private did not align with what they were putting on other people. And so Jesus told the Pharisees that they were blind, that they couldn't see the truth in front of them. And he warned his followers that a time was coming when they would be killed for their faith by people who thought they were doing a holy service for God. And so back to Saul, here he is, a Pharisee who thought he could see. He thought his religious ways were all right and he was a defender of the truth. I am pursuing the truth because these people are ruining our Jewish faith and I'm going to be the defender of the truth. And so the second thing that we can learn from Saul here is that we need to be aware of our own blindness. God had a way of getting a hold of Saul in Acts 9, there's a story. Actually, there's three places in Acts where you will find Saul's story. Two where he tells it and one where someone else tells it. And this is one of them where, he, um, where it tells the story of Saul. So Acts 9, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. 
he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. I can't even imagine. (laughs) Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Later tonight, we're going to talk about how his physical blindness was how God used that in order to see his spiritual blindness. But for now, I want you to think about the possibility that someone else's spiritual blindness can crush another person. And there are times when maybe you've experienced feeling crushed by somebody who you respected and who you thought had answers for you. And maybe it was really discouraging because we're all human. And we don't always see our own spiritual blindness. So because Christian churches are made up of humans, we don't always do it right. We get off track. Before Saul could begin to live the life God would soon call him to live, he had to acknowledge that the way he practiced Jewish religion was off track. This performance-based religion was nothing like the relationship that Jesus offered. But the best part of the story, because I don't like to leave you without hope, is that even though he was off track, God had a plan for his life. And the beautiful part of the story is that Saul's restart is the thing that started the, uh, the tremendous growth of the Christian church. So much of our Bible that we read now was written by Paul. And so there's always hope. So if you've been somebody who's been crushed by somebody else, or maybe you're the one who's done the crushing of somebody else, there is always hope. There is always a restart. So if you're somebody who has experienced spiritual abuse, my heart breaks for you because I have met people that have been been sadly wounded by other Christians without them even realizing they were doing it. Jesus experienced the ultimate spiritual abuse so that we could be free from that. And so there is freedom from that pain in Jesus as well. The other thing is, maybe without knowing it, some of you are Saul's. I was. For many years, I was a Saul who acted like a Pharisee. I hurt other people. And maybe you don't even know what you've done. God offers the same love and forgiveness for all who turn from their sin, even the Pharisees. So I'll tell you a little bit of my story. I've given you some some clues about it. I grew up in the church. I knew Jesus from the time I was small. And when I went off to college, I decided I was going to be involved in a Christian organization. I got connected with some Christian friends because I didn't know anybody else going to college. And we would go door to door, knock on dorms. And we had these little booklets. And we'd knock on the door and ask if we could share those with somebody. Now, first off, I now put myself in the shoes of those people. And I think, I'm shocked that they invited me into their dorm room. We would sit there, we would read through the little booklet with them, and we'd talk about how God had a plan for their life, and then we would give them an opportunity to pray a prayer at the end of that. And then sometimes somebody would say, yeah, I really do want to have a relationship with Jesus. And sometimes they would say, I don't want anything to do with you. I didn't know that's where this was going. 
And we would leave their room and kind of go back to doing our own thing. But the problem with me was not with the people I was knocking on the doors of, it was happening in my own heart. And that was that when I would go in dorms and visit with people or meet with people on campus, what was going through my mind was, oh, I'm really glad that I'm not like these people. I'm really glad that I came to college and didn't spend all of my time partying. I'm this, I'm that. And I realized later, I didn't even realize it then, God had a lot of changing working to do. I realized later when going back and thinking about some of the things I'd like to undo, I realized I wasn't seeing them as people. I was just checking off this box, like, I've got good news for you, but deep inside of my heart, I don't really care about you as a person, and I'm really judging you for the choices that you're making. You see, I had good intentions. I really did. I wanted to spread the gospel. I had really good intentions. But that's where I was like a Saul. And then there was a point in my mid-30s, I was a mom by then, had my own little kids, and I was leading Bible studies and teaching. I had started writing. I had started speaking. And I was looking out at the faces of the people that I had ministered to, and I realized I wasn't really connecting one-on-one with people there either. And I realized that I was doing the same thing that I did in college, that I was thinking, if I just preach this message, it's going to change people's lives, and God has given me this ministry. And again, I realized that I'm living like a Pharisee because everything about my life was rules. Follow this rule, stick to this, make sure you have only these friends, only go to these places. And then I saw this passage, which I'd seen so many times, and I know I told you last night that sometimes we see a passage and we just keep going over it and over it. This one is the one I have from Luke 18 that really stuck with me. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Does this sound familiar? Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's a wake-up call. Because I realized I could have spoken the words of that Pharisee. And that there were people who I was judging who were, who were like saying, Lord, have mercy on me. And I was missing that because I was working so hard at following the rules and being a, quote, good person. And I realized that even when we grow up in church, and even when we have a relationship with Jesus, and even when we know that the only way to be saved is through Jesus and that we can't do it of ourselves, even when we believe that, we sometimes live as if we think we just have to be good enough. We say the gospel, the real gospel, that Jesus is the only way, and we live a works-based gospel. We live with going to church, making sure I do these things. And God doesn't ask us to do. He asks us to be. 
Be with him. Be a Christian. Be the church to somebody, not go to church. And so in the end, he asked all of us to have a restart. Not just the person who's never known Jesus. All of us. And for some of us, that restart comes with saying, I don't want to be a Pharisee anymore. I want to see people. I want to see their hurt. So the third thing that's important to know is that we need a balance of truth and grace. We need that balance because truth we only find in Scripture. We need to study the Scripture. We need to go to church. We need to be with other people. We need to spend time with God. We need to do those things, but not because God expects them because there's a rule to follow, but because it's a natural result of wanting a relationship with him. And so God has taken my Pharisee heart and broke my heart for other people. I don't know what work he wants to do in you. I don't know if your first step is following Jesus or if you have followed him for a long time and your first step is asking him to break your heart for what breaks his. I don't know because only you know what's going on. But the important thing is to know we're all works in progress. Jesus gave an example for how we can balance truth and grace when he spoke with people. And, you know, he didn't use scripture as a weapon, except for when he was talking to the Pharisees. He would quote things from the Old Testament. But sometimes we use scripture as a weapon. You know, it talks about in Ephesians that the, the word of God is a sword, but we use it to slash at other people instead of slash at the enemy. The word of God is our weapon against the forces of evil, against Satan. But it is not my weapon when somebody is, is doing something I know God wouldn't approve of this for me to go, well, you know, Scripture says we weaponize Scripture in a different way than what Scripture talks about. So if you're using Scripture as a weapon, know that the enemy is real, that Satan is real. But the people that we know need to hear truth and grace together because only then do we see that God loves us? These are the things I used to go and tell people. God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Truth. And then grace is the missing piece. Grace is the thing that covers all of that. Covers my Pharisee past. Covers whatever past you have. And then we have a restart. So as we think about leaving this place this morning and going to your time of quiet, I want you to ask God some questions. This is what David talked about in Psalms when he said, search my heart, O God. This is a, a scary question to ask sometimes because I don't always love the things that I hear when I ask God that. There are things I wish I could undo. I wish I could go back and undo a relationship I had with a roommate. I was not nice to her. And uh, there was a point where I reported her for something she was doing at her job. My self-righteous self had no business doing that, even though I was like thinking I was made to be the police of all things. Our relationship was broken. After that, I moved away. I got married. I never saw her again. I have stalked, tried to find her on Facebook. I would love to make amends. I have no idea if she got married, if she had children. I don't know what her last name is anymore. I can't find her. Sometimes we have that, but it's a wake-up call for God to say, don't let there be more people in your life. 
make the amends. So for you, if you know somebody and you're like, you know, I've been Pharisee, I need to go to that person, they would love to hear from you to say those those words that are so hard to say, I was wrong. Or three other words. It's always in threes, isn't it? I love you. God loves you. So whatever it is, ask God, what do you want to do in me during this time of quiet? Where is my restart? If you've been spiritually wounded, this is your place to find healing. This is your time to spend with God saying, God, I want to know that love. I want to know that grace. I want to receive it. I don't want to keep going back and living as if you don't love me. Maybe that's your first step here. So I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to just leave quietly. Some of you might want to just stay in here, go to your cabin, find a place. Um, If you love the rain, you might enjoy sitting under an umbrella on a bench out there. But as I pray, um, I want you to be starting that question of search my heart, oh God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to know the truth and we want you to direct us to truth. And so I ask that you would open our eyes so that we'd understand your heart and that we would act in a way that you would want us to act. I ask that you would reveal where we have blind spots and where we need to make changes or amends. And on behalf of those who have been hurt, we ask for your healing for that hurt. We ask that you would give us the willingness to forgive and experience the freedom that comes from letting go of pain. Help us to be sensitive to one another, to be loving and caring with hearts full of your love and grace. Thank you so much for giving each of us a restart. Thank you for your love and the grace that you give us every day. Thank you for not asking us to follow rules, but to have a relationship with you. And so in this moment, we thank you for who you are, for knowing our hearts, for knowing our past story, and for knowing our future, for knowing what's coming beyond this place. Thank you so much for being the all-knowing, all-powerful God. And so I ask, Lord, as, as each of us leaves and, and goes into a place where we seek you, that you would reveal yourself to us in a new way, that in this still quiet we would hear your voice. Thank you for giving us Paul's story, for that example of what you did in his life. Thank you for scripture as a way of knowing your heart and seeing the kind of plan you have for each of us. We honor and glorify you in your name. Amen. Did you catch the three things there? Number one, we need to separate truth from tradition. Number two, we need to be aware of our own blind spots. And number three, we need to find a balance of truth and grace. I want to thank you for listening today. I'll be back next week with part three of this series of messages. The other thing I'd love to invite you to do is become part of the Patreon community in Life Repurposed Plus. There you get the resources that I've had for all of the past episodes, some extra bonuses that come out occasionally just for Patreon supporters, and you also get the chance to just tell me that you appreciate having the show out there for your own spiritual growth. So I know some of you just want to be able to give a little bit of something that helps with the production costs. And so it costs only $9 a month for you to become part of that Patreon community. I know for me, that's the cost of a coffee and a bagel. So if you're willing to do that for the show, I so much appreciate that. You will find the link for that and show notes. It will be at michellerayburn.com slash 175. 
Thanks for being here and I hope you have a great week. You've been listening to Life Repurposed. If you'd like bonus resources sent to your inbox each week, be sure to sign up at michellerayburn.com 